y'all feeling good? Ready to roll? Okay, come on. Yes. Bring it, bring it. All right. Well, hopefully um, this has been some good heart work for you. I don't know what you came here expecting. And remember last night I asked you, why did you come? And um, hopefully you're, you're beginning to see the Holy Spirit work in that particular area. And he's, he's blowing his wind in your life as we kind of set sail. I love what Luke said. Man Camp 2020, all aboard. And uh, here, here we go. I think um, we're going to see hopefully tonight. I'm excited about this talk. I'm excited about, I believe, what the Lord's going to do as we wrap it up and give you an opportunity to respond um, to some of the stuff that we've been talking about. So, so just as a recap, we've first talked about your stage of life and identifying your stage of life, and then we talked about your state of heart. And hopefully y'all had a good group time together as you talked about the state of your heart and you're beginning to develop some language and some understanding of what's going on in there. And it's a complex world in there, but, but, but it takes some time. Sometimes it takes some conversations, but just the, those beginning steps and those beginning conversations can be really insightful, and, and the Lord can really move in those areas. And so what we're, we're going to talk about tonight is, is the system, like the navigational system that actually gets us to where we're going. And we're actually going to spend more time talking about the destination than we are the system, because the system is relatively simple. It, it's the destination that we really need to clarify first in order to then create and understand, I would say, the system that will get us to our particular destination. And so first I want you to, to understand this principle that, that your destination or your perceived destination determines, it influences the system that you use in order to achieve that goal, right? Like there, there's systems at work in all of us that are working on a regular basis to move us towards achieving a particular goal. You may or may not know this, but your brain is actually a goal oriented organ. And, and when you set a goal, it actually works through, through different processes and, and different hormones and different ways of, of kind of moving and motivating you forward in order to accomplish your goal. There, there's, there's a system at work in you physiologically, and there's a system at work in you internally all the time that is trying to move you towards your desired goal. So, so just examples, so this can begin to make sense to you. Let's just take kind of the big three things that people say can, can take everyone out, especially every man out, money, power, and sex. Okay. So if, if your, if your goal is money, let's just, let's just say that your goal is money. There is a system in place that it, that is moving you to decisions that will get to that goal. And so for you, it could be career related, the classes you take, the people you network with, where you, where you interned as a college student in order to open up doors and, and how you positioned yourself and how you studied. It could be related to if you're more in the artistic world, the, the things that you're working on, the skill set that you're working on, the, the, the things that you're grinding hard to develop and the connections you're trying to make in that world. Like, but if, if, if the goal is money and you believe that is your path to money, there's a system in place that's moving you in that direction. If you take sex, okay, if your goal, let's just say, is, is, is marriage, right, and, and you really long to get married, there's a system in place that's moving you to try to set yourself up for that. You're, you're probably putting yourself in place where the type of people that you want to marry hang out, right? You're making yourself available. You're, you're trying to socially interact in a way that makes yourself somewhat appealing and, and less awkward than maybe you are um, really on the inside, but you're trying to learn how to play it cool, right? You're, you're, you're doing certain things to try and, 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 and navigate this world in order to accomplish what your heart desires. Take power, or you could call it status, or 
reputation, right? If that's really your goal, and there's certain things that you're doing to, to move yourself in that direction. I'm going to be this kind of person. I'm, I'm going to move towards popularity. I'm going to move towards people-pleasing. I'm going to move up the ladder so that I can have more power, so my reputation can get stronger. Like there, There's these systems that are constantly at work in our lives, and what can often happen for us as we enter into relationship with Jesus is we transfer a particular system that worked in one area of your life our life into an into our relationship with Jesus. And so for instance, let's just use the girl thing. Like if it was it was marriage and you try to make yourself available and attractive and cool and, and charming and all of those types of things and that worked for you and you got married and you meet Jesus and and, and you want to fall in love with him, you, you translate sometimes that system into your relationship with God and, and you feel that this need to kind of perform or put your best foot forward or, or, or really be act in a way that's fully pleasing to him or that he would be proud of or that other Christians might be proud of. It's just one example, but, but the idea here is that our destination influences the system that we operate in in order to get to that destination. And, and so first we need to talk about the destination. What really is the destination of the Christian life? Like, what is the end goal? What's, what's the finish line? What's the mountaintop? What's the end of the race? And I want to encourage you to, to think in your own mind, like, what, what is that for you? If you had to kind of answer that question, we're not going to ask you to do that, but, but I want you to wrestle with this a little bit. What would you actually say it is? Some of you may say it's the, it's the condition of maybe fullness and freedom, or maybe it's, you would describe that condition as like healthy and wealthy, and you know, that, that's your idea of the, the Christian goal, is to have maybe a, a blessed life, and your kids are doing well, and your finances are fine, and you're healthy, and your wife's hot, and those types of things. You're successful, and it's all kind of clicking, it's all kind of working for you. Maybe that you would say that's what it means to live a life that's, that's blessed by God. That's, that's really the goal in the Christian life, or Maybe you'd say it's, no, it's, it's mission. Like it's really, it's reaching people. It's going after people. It's, it's, it's reaching the lost. It's going where we need to serve. It's reaching the marginalized. It's reaching the unreached. It's reaching the unchurched. And we want to be a light in everywhere we go. Maybe you would say that the end of the Christian, goal, the Christian life is, is heaven, right? It's, it's, it's when we die that we get to, to, to be transported into this paradise that Jesus calls it. And we get to live in relationship with him. What would you say as you think about this is your end goal? There's other answers that you may come up with. If you were to understand this is what it's all, if you were to try to articulate, this is what it's all about. This, this is really where, where my heart is moving me. This is really where I'm trying to go. Because whatever destination you have in mind, there's a system in place that's moving you in that direction. And so if it's just fullness in the condition of your heart, I'm forgiven, I'm full, I'm free, I'm blessed, things are good, then you're going to move in that direction and you're going to hope for that direction. You're going to pray in that direction. You're going to work in that direction. If it's, if it's mission, be, be, being kind of radical for God and giving all for God, then you're going, to, you're going to operate in a way that moves you in that direction and that, that causes you to be motivated in that direction. If you think it's heaven, it, it could be that you just are hanging out. You're kind of waiting to die, right? Like it's, yeah, you can't really control that one and you don't really want to force it. And so you're just kind of waiting for when, when things come your way, right? 
So that destination, can you see that? It, it, it influences your system and in the way that you live this life and the way that you interact with God and, and perceive him in the world around you. Well, I think as we dive back into the life of Peter, we can actually maybe find a concept, maybe discover something here in this conversation with Jesus that encompasses those things. That all of those are kind of right, but there's more to it than that. And what if there's a concept? What if there's an idea? What if there's an ev- a value? What if maybe there's a word that, that really communicates what the end of the journey really is? And I think this conversation that we kind of buzzed through last night, but we're going to hang out in, in John chapter 21, that Jesus and Peter have together can give us some insight into what really is the end goal of the Christian life. What really is the point? Where are we actually going? So John chapter 21, it'll be on the screen as well. If you remember the context, Jesus has died. He's risen again. The disciples are out and they're fishing. And Jesus says to them, throw your net on the other side as he's standing on the shore. They throw their net out after having a terrible night of fishing. And they bring in this haul of fish. And Peter says, this is the one, Lord. And he jumps into the water and he goes after Jesus. In verse, let's see where we're going to pick up here, 15. Verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he replied, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then the third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, just over and over again, just drilling this question into him. Do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Now, I think this is a really interesting dialogue here. And there's a lot that has been written about this. There is a lot that has been preached about this because of the way John tells this story and the the word choices he used and how how he unpacks the word of love and uses different Greek words for love. And we're not going to get deep into all of that because I want us to to just really see this conversation from a relational standpoint. It's, it's kind of interesting to me that, that Jesus is engaging this man who's full of passion, who's dripping wet on the beach because he just jumped out in the water and swam to his Lord and Savior after having just denied him probably a few days or maybe a few weeks earlier. Right? I actually happen to think, I don't know if this is true, but maybe I'll get a chance to talk to Peter when things are all said and done, right? And, and I want to ask him, did you think you were going to walk when you jumped out of the water uh, in, in this story? I, I think maybe he did. It says he put his clothes back on, and then he jumped. And in my mind, I just think the clothes are pretty heavy to swim in. Maybe he thought, I'll get it right this time. Maybe he thought, I'll walk this time. And this is, this is the kind of passionate man that, that we see, whether or not that's accurate. All through Scripture is this passionate man who did radical things for Jesus. And it's interesting to me that Jesus is having this conversation with him. And it's like what he's doing. He's kind of drawing out his, his repentance. He's, he's kind of drawing out his passion. He, he knows like, Peter, you're, you're really hot one moment and you're really cold one moment. And so I'm not just going to ask you this question once so you can jump over it and all can be well again. Some say that Jesus asked three times because Peter denied him three times. It may or may not be the case. It might be. 
But, but, but I think either way, what Jesus was, was getting at was he was trying to draw out of Peter, like, let's actually have a real conversation about this. Let's not move on too quickly because some things were broken back there. Like you denied me and, and you got scared and, and now you've just kind of gone back to fishing. Like, let's, let's, let's have a real conversation here. And, and in, in this repetitive questioning that he's asking Peter, it's like he's kind of drawing out his, his passion. And, and really what I think he's also doing is kind of drawing out this place of repentance so that the relationship can actually get restored. So things can kind of get on good ground again. And, and it's interesting to me that there's a lot of, if you think about this, there's a lot of things that Jesus could have addressed with Peter, right? There's a lot of directions he could have gone with this conversation. He could have started with Peter. We know liar, liar, pants on fire, liars go to hell. You lied, right? Let's talk about integrity. Let's talk about courage. Let's talk about being honest in, in the moments of, of compromise, right? He, he could have get, gotten into the betrayal for, from a, a standpoint of, you, you, you just don't have integrity, Peter. We need to talk about your integrity. If you're going to represent me, if you're going to be the rock on which I build the church, you got to tell the truth, okay? Like, like he could have gone that route with Peter. He, he could have gone the theological route, right? He, he could have said, okay, like you saw the transfiguration. You saw me glowing. Like you declared me the Messiah. Like, can we, let's unpack this. Let's talk about this a little bit. Let's open up our Old Testament. Let's go back in and find out if I really am, right? Jesus actually did have a conversation with some disciples like that on the road to Emmaus. He could have gone theological. He could have gone character and morals. He could have got into just maturity issues and been like, hey, Peter, but you can't keep doing this. Hot, cold, yes, no, loving, don't know him, right? Like you can't just keep living this way. Like, like you got to pick a lane, right? There's a lot of things that Jesus could have done with him. And yet what John highlights here is one simple thing, the thing above all things. Do you love me? Like, let's just start there. You don't need to get into theology right now. You don't need to get into your character. We don't need to get into your integrity. Let's just start here. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me than every, more than everything else? There's a lot of things that Jesus could have highlighted in this moment, and what he highlights is love. And I think that gives us some insight into what the destination of this life in Christ is really all about. What if it's just about love? What if that's the whole deal, is becoming a person of love? is the foundation of who we are, the center of who we are, the beginning of all that we do, of how we operate, of how we see the world, of how we interact with God, of how we interact with others, of how we use our time, how we use our money, where our motivations are. What if it all just really is supposed to begin in the place of love? I think this is what Jesus is getting at with Peter. He's creating a starting point with Peter in order to help him understand the destination. It's not about how passionate you are. It's not about how theologically strong you are. It's not about even how full of integrity you are in the hardest moments. Ultimately, at the core of who you are, I just need to know, do you love me? And is this relationship built on that? If it's just built on theological agreement, if it's just built on your commitment and integrity, if it's just built on your good character, it's not quite what I'm shooting for. All that stuff will come, but let's start here. Let's build it on 
love. I believe that the destination that Jesus wants to lead us all to is to become people of love. I want to take a minute to define what exactly that is because there's all kinds of definitions of love. If I, if I left you there, I think I'd, I'd leave you to go out and try to figure out, well, what does that look like? Does that mean I need to be polite? Does that need to be really nice? Do I need to do, do a better job of, of, of kind of preferring other people here and there? Do, do I need to get mushy and, and cry during worship? And, you know, like, like what, what, what does that actually look like? How, how do I actually express that? Well, I, I think Scripture gives us some good insights there. Romans chapter 5 says this, Paul writes this, he says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the demonstration of God's love. So what we can kind of piece together and understand here is that, that, that God's picture of love, God's shape of love, when we think of love, we often think, right, it's close to Valentine's Day, right, some of your triggers just went off because you're like, oh my gosh, I've got a week to figure this out, right? Um, like it's close to Valentine's Day. When we think of love, we think of a heart. It's the shape that comes to our mind. But, but I believe in, in the mind of God, when, when he thinks of love, the shape that comes to his mind is a cross, right? God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There, there's no greater expression of God's love towards you than the cross. How good your day was, how many green lights you got, what kind of bonus you got, how great your relationships are, how good you're looking right now, like whatever it may be, like all of those come and go, but the most constant thing in your life as an expression of God's love for you is the cross. God demonstrates his love for the world through the cross. The cross is the shape of love. The cross is the expression of love. And most of us, what we do is we, we enter into the world. If, if I had to describe our lives before Christ, I would say if there was a shape that could define our lives before Christ, I'd say it's probably a circle. It's a good picture of our lives before Christ is a circle. And, and what I mean by that is, is we just kind of live our lives ultimately, um, really when it comes down to it, we live in the, this, this world that is a circle and we live in the center of it. And that's just how human beings come into the world. And you see it in two-year-olds, you see it in five-year-olds, and you see it in 45 and 55-year-olds who maybe don't yet know Jesus or still are on their way to real maturity in Jesus, right? It's a circle with them in the middle. And the way that we operate is whatever is pleasing to us, we keep in the middle of that circle or we pull into the circle and whatever is not pleasing to us, we boot out of the circle. And, and we were just taught throughout our lives, this is the way we operate. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, move along from it. If you want it in your life, receive it. If you don't want it in your life, kick it out of your sphere. Kick it out of your circle. Kick it out of your world, right? And, and so I would say one, one way to really understand our lives pre-Christ is, is that we are circular people with me in the middle, with, with us in the middle. It's the shape of our lives. But I believe God, God would show us that... Love is in the shape of a cross. Richard Hayes is a professor of New Testament at Duke University. He wrote a book called The Moral Vision of the New Testament. Brilliant book. If you like big, thick books about pretty complex stuff, it's, it's really great. And he says this, To be in Christ is to have one's life conformed to the self-giving love enacted on the cross. To be a Christian is to live a cross-shaped life 
life. Part of what Jesus came to do for you in dying on the cross was not only to win your forgiveness through his death, but it was also to display how you are now called to live your life as a follower of Jesus, to move from a circular life with you in the middle into a cross-shaped life, a life that is, as he says, conformed to the image of the self-giving love expressed on the cross. He wants to move us from a circle to a cross. This is the way that J.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, Chester Stun, a great theologian. Here's how he says it. For the circle is perfect and infinite in its nature, but it is fixed and forever in its size, meaning it just kind of goes upon itself. It can't ever really grow, can't ever really shrink. It just kind of circles upon itself. It can never be larger or smaller. But the cross, though it has a head at its collision and contradiction, and a contradiction right at its center, it can extend its forearms forever without altering its shape. Because it has a paradox at its center, and it can grow without changing. The circle returns upon itself and is bound, but the cross open it, opens its arms to the four winds of the world as a signpost to free travelers everywhere. And he's contrasting this idea of the circle-shaped life that just circles upon itself and that is all about itself, which is just how we're born. It's how we enter into the world. We don't know any different. But then Jesus offers a very different way of living through his death on the cross that we're now to live cross-shaped lives. We're to extend to the four corners of the world in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we give ourselves away. But he points out but at the center of that shape, is a contradiction. At the center of that shape is a collision. For Jesus, it was his very death. And for ours, it is what we've been talking about for the last couple sessions. It is the recognition that our lives are best lived when we learn to give them away. You can say it this way. When you begin to die to yourself, you begin to come cross-shaped. When you begin to let go of the way you expected and wanted and needed life to be on your terms, you move from being circular to cross-shaped. When you begin to put others before yourself, that's, a, that's an act of death to yourself, you begin to move from circular to cross-shaped. You begin to move from self-focused into love. And you begin to become Love. Now, when we hear this word sometimes, this phrase of needing to die to ourselves, we can often kind of feel this like martyr type deal that we just need to live these miserable, uncomfortable, painful lives where we can never have joy, where we can never do anything we enjoy, that we're just supposed to constantly, like we think of death to ourselves, it's just, just like torturing ourselves. That's not quite what Jesus has in mind. So some of the examples is the struggle for love and, and, and a desire to, to, to be with a woman. Since a sexual desire grows in our hearts, the way we die to ourselves is we say, I'm going to align that desire with the word of God and I'm going to wait in purity until the right one comes along. That's a death to self. That's a painful center, but it moves us from circular to cross-shaped. Because that painful center allows us, when the time is right, to love in a pure and beautiful way. And if and when we stumble along the way and we get circular again and we get impure and we struggle, we, we open ourselves back up to a friend and we confess. 
we open ourselves back up to God and we confess. And those are cross-shaped actions to get us back into the posture where our lives can be a blessing to those around us. When we think about going for the, the kind of purpose that we want in our lives and we want our careers to matter and we want to live fulfilled and we want meaning and we want, we want our lives to actually matter. Like these are good desires and they are good things that God's put inside of us. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting your life to actually matter. But if you're still circular shaped, your life mattering will be all about what you want. What's my title going to be? What's my pay going to be? What's this going to mean for me? What am I going to get out of this deal? But when you lay those desires before the Lord and you give them to him, the painful act of saying, God, you have your way with my life. You determine my steps. You determine my future. You can actually grow into a life that has more purpose than just living for yourself. Do you know that some of the most recent research in sociological studies is showing that the people who are the most happy in the world are the people who make it a habit to serve other people. Isn't that interesting? That that serving others actually makes us happy. I think Jesus understood that. I think think this is part of what he's moving us toward. He he wants us to become people of love. We were actually wired to be people of love. We were actually designed to be people of love. We were actually designed so that the fullest life that we could possibly live actually comes when we die and we give our lives away. There's a fulfillment actually, in the great giving away of our lives. The struggle in the midst of a tragedy, a disappointment, a loss, when you hit the wall like we talked about this morning, the the reaction of the circle is to say, that's not fair, that shouldn't have happened. I'm going to avoid people, I'm going to stop loving because it hurts too much, or I'm going to shake my fist at God forever, he shouldn't have allowed that to happen. I'm going to hold that grudge forever. They never should have done that to me. That's circular-shaped thinking. But cross-shaped thinking says, Lord, I'm giving you my pain. I'm giving you the disappointment. I'm giving you the depression, the discouragement, the fear, the anxiety. And I'm choosing to trust you again. I'm choosing to love again. I'm choosing to open my life back up again. And it's in that place that we find the freedom and the fullness and the love that he has for us. You see what I'm saying here? That there's this collision that takes place that, that, that when we allow it into our lives, this crisis that we've been talking about, the struggle we've been talking about, the, the, the wall that we've been talking about, it all kind of leads up to this, that, that when we, we approach that crisis, that struggle, that wall with a cross-shaped mentality and not a circular-shaped mentality, what it allows us to do is take on the personality, the heart, and the fullness of who Jesus is, who Jesus showed himself to be, and who we can become as we follow after him. You know, the little what would Jesus do bracelets that were huge in the 90s and now are huge again. You know, really, what would Jesus do? He'd, it's the cross every time. What looks cross-shaped, that's the direction we should go. What looks U-shaped, that's the direction we should avoid and we should resist. And I believe that as we begin to do that, as we begin to allow that collision in our heart and collision in our life, what it allows us to do is it puts us in a posture so that we are now free to love. So that we're now free 
to love. This whole thing that we've been talking about, this whole journey that we've been talking about, the stages and the, the, the system and, 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 and the state of your heart, all of this really, it leads to becoming a person who is now free to love. So after I went to, through some counseling with my situations with my anger, recognizing there were some dad issues, yelling at an empty chair, trying to understand what that meant, writing, 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 lots of thoughts, processing with my wife, processing with friends. I came to this point where I realized there were still areas of my life where I was still pretty circular. I was still just kind of focusing on me. And as I began to kind of give those things to God and kind of die to some things, what it set me free to do was to begin to really love more deeply. And I saw that expressed in my relationship with my kids. I saw that expressed in my relationship with my wife. There was this freedom to love that I had kind of gradually been losing over the course of those years where my anger was just kind of boiling and boiling and boiling. And so when my dad was pretty close to, to passing away, it was November of 2016. It was the election week. I worked it out so that I could come home for a couple days and just see him one last time. And I went to the airport that morning uh, to board my flight, and I had the worst gas humanly possible. And I've had some bad, I've got some bad stories about that whole world. I can tell you later. But this was very embarrassing. Daniel White knows every one of them because they all happened in elementary school. But I, you know, I've got a, I've got a bad track, rec- track record when it comes to to movements like that. And this was the worst gas I'd ever experienced. I bought myself some gas pills. I was texting Shireen before I got on the plane. I was like, man, I don't know what's happening, but I've, I've never had to fart so bad in my life and I cannot get it out. And, and as I'm continuing to go on the plane, and I'm just hunching over more and more and more. And David picked me up from the airport. And I don't know if you remember this, but I mean, I like, I could barely even sit in his car. I'm like, man, I just, this gas, like I cannot beat it. And he, he takes me to my mom's house and we're chatting and I'm like leaned over like this, just trying so hard, like, Jesus, give me a fart. Like I just, that's, that's all it felt like was like, I just need a fart. And, and it just, and then I think in the conversation with David, my mom, I, I thought to myself, maybe there's something else going on here. And, and I Googled or one of us Googled appendicitis and all of the symptoms were like, that sounds a lot like appendicitis. So David took me to the emergency room there at Kennestone. And um, I sat forever to be seen, and man, that was, it, was, it was a painful several hours, and eventually um, I had to, to get my appendix out the next morning. So here I am coming to visit my father, who's in his last days, who's living off of jello and water and a little bit of medicine, hanging out in his living room, and I show up, you know, 24 hours later, hang out on his couch, eating jello, taking medicine, and just kicking it with him. As we watch election results, I had the surgery on the night of the election. Still remember my dad, even in the midst of his pain, even in the midst of his dementia, one of the last things I remember him saying, because he said it over and over again that week, what's that Trump going to do? How long before he gets impeached? So he was, he was prophetic in his last, last few weeks of life. And, and so we had this kind of cool few days together. With my mom bringing us jello, and we're hanging on the couch. I had to extend my trip longer than I thought um, longer than I'd planned. And the last night that I was there, I you know, told him good night, and he went up to bed, and me and my mom and my sister just hanging out in the living room chatting, and I was kind of thinking to myself and processing this reality that I might 
never see my dad again. And then he, came, he comes back downstairs at about 9.30 in his underwear. And my mom laughs and is like, Pat, what are you doing? And he said, I just need to give you a hug and kiss goodnight. I forgot to do that. And she's like, really? Like, after all these years of marriage, this is when you choose to do it? Like, it wasn't like a normal thing, you know, for him when he went upstairs and go to bed. And, and, and as he's, you know, telling her goodnight, I, 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 could, I could hear the Holy Spirit in that moment. Pray for him. And in our home, we don't really do that. In my relationship with my dad, you don't really do that. I, I can't remember up until that point the last time I'd ever told my dad I loved him. I tried to hug him a couple times. And it was really awkward. One time my mom laughed at us because it was such this awkward like moment. But I was like trying so hard to kind of go in for a hug. It's just not the type of relationship we had. And, 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 and I just, but in that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, pray for him. And I knew like I'll never have another chance probably. And if I, if I thought I did, I probably would have avoided the situation. But I got up and I said, hey, Dad, can we just pray for you? And me and my mom and my sister surrounded him. And I got an opportunity to just pray for my dad. And then tell him I love him and give him a hug. And all these things that I was yelling at a chair about just a few months earlier that I never had an opportunity to do. And it was a beautiful ending to this imperfect yet wonderful relationship that I had with my father. And I don't regret a thing. I don't regret a thing. And I look back on that and I reflect back on that and I think, what if I hadn't really followed the, the, the leading of the Spirit and, and kind of dealing with some of the stuff in my heart? What if I hadn't really started to figure out like the, the season of my life and the state of my heart and kind of what Jesus really was trying to do inside of me? And, and, and I really realized that, that what you were doing all along, Jesus, holy, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is you're just setting me free to love. Like, I was too hurt to really love him well. I, I was too hurt to really take a step towards him. And, and really, in, in all of our life, when the struggle comes, when the crisis comes, when the difficulty comes, whether it comes upon us or whether we create it ourselves, we can lose sight of the ultimate destination and we're just trying to fix the situation. But if we can keep in mind that the end of the journey is actually just the freedom to love well, it carries us through the wall. It carries us through the discouragement. It carries us through the disappointment. It carries us through the failures. It carries us through the crises. When we can look at these things and we can say, okay, Jesus, if the goal of my life is to become a person of love, how can you use this to make me love? If the goal of my life is to give it away, how can you use this for a collision at the center of who I am so that my life will spread further in every direction? The goal in everything that we've been talking about is not just so that you'll have a steady life, not just so that you'll have a solid life, not just so that you'll have a mature life, not so much that you'll just have an admirable life or a good Christian life. Everything that we've been talking about has been moving towards this ultimate destination to become a person of love. When you hit your midlife crisis, whether you're there, whether you remember it, or whether you're on your way, the crux of the midlife crisis is the struggle to love. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I hoped for. There's too many demands. There's too many responsibilities. I've made too many mistakes. But when you begin to live from circular to cross-shaped and you recognize, what if it's not about me? What if it's about me giving myself to my kids, 
giving myself to this job that I don't fully love all the time, giving myself to this house that's not nearly as big as I thought it would be, giving myself to this marriage that has all kinds of struggles in the midst of it, giving myself to this season of singleness while I'm hoping and waiting for something better, giving myself to growing and building the skill set that I need to step into my career so that I can eventually give my life away in that way. Right? The, the, the crux of many of our struggles is that we don't yet understand that if we allow the collision to happen, we can explode into the shape of love. The destination of, is love. And if we can get that in our hearts and if we can get that in our minds that God wants us, Jesus wants us to be set free to love, then we can create a system and we can understand, I should say, a system. We can allow a system that will move us in that direction. If the destination is more than just heaven, more than just arrival on the other side, and it's so much more than that, if, if it's more than, than, than just a mission that will fade when this time on earth is done because there will be nothing more to save people from and to fight against because we'll all be living who follow Jesus in glory. If it's not just kind of having this blessed, safe, good, steady life, because again, that will, that will come to an end. If it's something bigger than that, I think we, we could pretty, pretty much say it's, it's love. Like love encompasses all of that, but also so much more. And if that's the destination, okay, what's the system to get there? Like how do I actually do that? Because that feels really, really hard. That feels pretty lofty. That, if you read 1 Corinthians, let's just do this real quick. 1 Corinthians 13, right? We read this in weddings, we read this in very solemn and special moments, but let's just get real honest about this real quick, okay? Verse four of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, not mostly, like it does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud, like ever. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. So if the end goal is to become love, to become cross-shaped, I don't know about you, but I read that description and the bar feels really high right? Like there's not a lot of room for interpretation there. There's not a lot of room for like, well, kind of maybe, sometimes. There's clearly always trusts, always protects, always hopes, always perseveres, and never fails, right? That bar is super high. So how do we actually become a person of love? Well, what's the system that we could put in place into our lives that could actually navigate us towards becoming people of love. I've got this, this compass, and we're actually going to give you some of these in just a little while tonight. And this little compass is, you know, it, it, it's kind of, I don't really understand how to use a compass. I never had to. I've got an iPhone. But supposedly, these things, they help you get where you need to go if you're lost in the woods or something like that. Those of you who are, you know, in the military, you get it. And those of you who are way more manly than me and wear camo for real reasons, um, you know how to use this. But, but, but we understand the concept of a, a compass that it gets you to where you need to go, right? If you've got the destination in mind, you've got to know the destination, it will guide and lead you into that way. Well, what if there was something that we could have in our lives as a follower of Jesus that would actually empower, 
equip, guide, and lead us towards the ultimate destination. Galatians chapter 5. After Paul writes this beautiful letter to the Galatians about what the gospel really means, about how to live in freedom, about the real purity of what the gospel truly is, he says this, and I'm just kind of mashing a few different verses together to highlight this, this flow that flows throughout these, these real, really these nine verses of Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. I'm just going to highlight these certain phrases. So I say, Paul says as he's concluding this letter, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here is the good news that Jesus promised us. When I go to be with the Father, something even better is coming your way who will inhabit your heart, who will teach you everything that I ever taught you and more. And not only teach you these things, but empower you to live in a particular way. And that gift, that, that better one who has come among us is the Spirit of God. When we say yes to Jesus, we receive this deposit into our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in our hearts as an expression and a reality of who Jesus is that guarantees our salvation and that begins to work out our salvation within us. But when we just say yes to Jesus once in our lives, that spirit comes and resides and he just kind of hangs out. And he just kind of does, does some things. And he'll nudge us from time to time. He'll speak to us from time to time. He'll move us or motivate us from time to time. But a real life in Christ is meant to be lived more relationally than that, more profoundly than that. And, and what Jesus is really inviting us up in, into is the, the same type of relationship that he had with his disciples where they were face-to-face, -face, interacting all the time, asking questions, moving forward together, going after things together, on mission together, talking about good stuff and hard stuff and fun stuff together is now supposed to be translated into our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That He lives inside of us and the Holy Spirit, good news, is love because God is love and the Holy Spirit is God. Love lives inside of us but we have to choose to walk in the Spirit we have to choose to operate alongside of the Spirit. So what Paul's getting at here is this, this idea that we're to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in being empowered by Him, in being led by Him, allowing Him to really be this compass in our lives that will constantly move us towards a cross-shaped life that will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control all different flavors and versions of what love really is. The Holy Spirit, His goal in your life, His work in your life is to move you towards becoming a person of love. And, and that standard that we read in 1 Corinthians 13 is far beyond what your discipline could ever accomplish. It's far beyond what your integrity could ever live out. It's far beyond what, what your wildest dreams could ever become. It has to be produced in you by something else. And it's produced in us through the work of the Holy Spirit, as we allow Him to lead our lives, to be filled by Him and to be led by Him, to be filled by Him and to be led by Him, be filled by Him and led by Him. I'm so thankful for that last night that I got to have with my father where the Holy Spirit said, pray for Him. 
And I believe in many ways that that, that nudging from the Holy Spirit wasn't just for me to be a blessing to my father, but he wanted me to grab a hold of something that I had so longed for for so long and give me that gift as well. Moving me in to become a person of love, being led by the Spirit, hearing those nudgings, moving after the things and the movings of God. So what what we want to do as we wrap up this, this kind of section of our time together. Tomorrow we're going to get pretty practical about how do we actually live this out. But we want this opportunity to pray for you because we see this pattern in Scripture. You see it in in Jesus's relationship with his disciples as he promises the Holy Spirit. And then we see it laid out and transferred from believer to believer in the book of Acts, this this spirit filled life, this spirit-empowered life. And we see this, this pattern in Acts that, that people had their hands, they had, they, they had apostles and prophets lay their hands on them to receive the spirit and to go forward in living a spirit-filled life. But then Paul also says this to us, be filled with the spirit, be constantly filled, continuously filled with the spirit. And so we're, we're called to live not just one time I received the spirit life, but we're called to an ongoing life that is constantly filled with the spirit, constantly led by the spirit, constantly working in fresh ways, in new ways, in deeper ways, in fuller ways in our lives. And so we want to give you the opportunity to kind of take all the stuff that we've been talking about up to this point and respond outwardly to that. And so here's how we're going to do that is we're going to have our pastors, we're going to have our our man camp leaders come forward and we're going to create this little kind of prayer tunnel here. We used to call it a fire tunnel at some point. It's not going to be a fire tunnel tonight. It's just going to be a a, a tunnel for, for these men who are trustworthy, who are filled with the Spirit of God to to lay their hands on you as you walk. It's not going to stop and like you're going to confess sin to them. They're not going to stop you and give you prophetic words. You're just going to keep moving. And as you keep moving, they're just going to place their hands on you as you go. And the reason why I think this is important is I think it, what it allows you to do is in your own connection with God, in your own connection with the Holy Spirit, it'll allow you this opportunity to just really say yes, to say, I want to live a spirit-led life. I want this kind of thing operating in me all the time because I know without this operating in my life, without this, this compass guiding and leading my life, I will not become a person of love. I will drift back to becoming a person who's just focused on me, who's looking out for number one, who's concerned for my own stuff because that's our nature. That's just what's in us. It's what's been ingrained in us from the very beginning. But if we're led by the Spirit, we can become a people who are constantly moving in this direction and not in this direction. The other thing we're going to do after we have the chance to pray for you is we're actually going to give you one of these little compasses. And I can't promise that it even works. So um, if you get lost and you're counting on your you know, compass to get you there, I can't promise. And it's not like spirit anointed. Don't like shake it like the magic eight ball. Like I, I got to make a decision about a job, you know, this one or this one, that, you know, don't do that kind of stuff. This is just simply a little memento to put somewhere where you might remember it. Put it on your keychain, put it on your desk, put it on your dresser and, and let it just kind of be this reminder because we're prone to forget. And let it be a reminder if you want to make that commitment tonight that on Friday night at man camp, I made a commitment to live a spirit-filled life. I made a commitment to live a spirit-led life. 
I made a commitment to Jesus to lead me in the direction that looks like this. In my relationships, in my career, in my goals, in my plans, in my dreams, that I said to Jesus, I I want this. I want your spirit to lead it. I don't want to lead it anymore. I don't want to stay at the steering wheel. I don't want to guide and direct this whole thing. I want you to do it. And so so you don't all have to come through. But I want you to have this moment as we go into worship to just kind of get serious before Jesus. Make sure it's sincere if you want to come forward. And if you're at a place where you'd say, I want want the spirit-led life. Because if you don't have the spirit-led life, the only other alternative is you have the you-led life, right? You have the you-led life. And the you-led life will stall out at the wall every time. But in order to get through it, in order to get beyond it, in order to enter into the fullness of maturity that Jesus has for you, it's the Spirit-led life. And so why don't y'all stand? I'm going to pray. And then as we go into worship, y'all can just begin to file forward. And as you go through the tunnel, they're just going to lay their hands on you. They're just going to pray. And all y'all really need to do, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, would you release your Spirit in their life? Those types of prayers, quick, simple, with your hands on them. And then we'll have these compasses at the end you can grab as just a reminder of this commitment tonight.